As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, where the crew is on your team. Grab your shopping cart, make a quick snap, and move out of the pocket. Run an option to the demo station, make an end around to the snacks, then find an eligible receiver to take you to the end zone. Learn more at TraderJoes.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman and uh, a wild weekend of upsets in college football. Bruce, we got a special guest to talk about that. Yes, is John Walters your favorite guest that we've had on here? He's he's definitely up there because we could talk to him about anything. John, welcome. <laughs> I was going to say thank you, boys. I think Bruce says that every Monday, but I appreciate it, Bruce. Well, I know no, this much. John- I think I think if we had to rank people in there as a recurring guest, because we know you could talk about just about anything, and we'll talk about just about anything. Uh, we should give mm. probably a little more background on John. He's older than both of us. First of all, <laughs> second of all, uh, he was a Notre Dame grad who had kind of a dream job for a lot of people not that much younger than him, where he was covering the SEC for Sports Illustrated back in the early 90s, right? Correct. Uh, and he bounced around at SI in various roles. And I was the original Richard Deitch. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to claim that? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you want glad, at the back of your baseball card? I'm glad, card, Richard, really? I'm glad sure? Richard claimed it. I'm glad he has it. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. I apologize. Well, now John writes for a little publication called The All-American. He yes. is the author of The Bubble Screen every Sunday on The All-American, reviewing, critiquing the week in college football on television. And I got to tell you, John, there is no bigger fan of The Bubble Screen than my co-host. Ah, oh, well, I'm so happy to hear that. I am yes. so happy to hear. I'd be even happier to hear that if Stuart said it was him because... <laughs> my boss. Do you get to expense your cable bill, by the way, because of Stu? <laughs> don't give him any ideas, Bruce. <laughs> I was going to talk about that. I don't have DVR. I have to get DVR. There's a whole bunch of upgrading I need to do. You have HD, uh, right? I do have HD, but I do not currently have a few of the networks that I need to get. But I, I'm going to be upgrading soon. Uh, but the beautiful thing about this is I now actually get to say I'm sorry I can't. It's it's sort of like Larry David's fatwa excuse from last night's Curb Your Enthusiasm. I have an excuse on Saturdays. I'm sorry. I have to watch all of these games. 
and it starts at 9 a.m. Eastern, and it goes until 2 a.m. the next morning, and I'm sorry, I just got to watch the games. It's great. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, look, TV is a big part of college football, and it's something I couldn't write about at Fox. You know, there's a lot of places where we have a conflict of interest about that, but we are mm-hmm. unaffiliated with any TV network, so we brought you on to, to keep the broadcasters honest, if you will. Well, it's fun, and, and you know, as you guys know, there's no other sport in this country that gets as much blanket coverage of, uh, on television. Uh, you know, even yesterday, the NFL, the Jets were on here in New York City, and you couldn't watch another NFL game for free uh, at that window, whereas on college football, there's just too much, but, to, but we love that problem, and we're all, especially now on Twitter, communicating with each other, not just the guys who get paid like us, but... Everybody is communicating about what they're seeing. So it's, it's, a, it's a very communal environment watching the games on TV. In fact, there was a moment Saturday when Oklahoma Tech, and you mentioned it in your column, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, LSU, Auburn, and Miami, Georgia Tech all came down to the last minute at like the exact same time. Absolutely. And Judge was batting in the ninth, and I'm a Yankee fan, at the, other, at the same time. So there was four conflicts of interest, and my thumb just isn't that good. I mean, I was trying my best. But you know you're going to miss something, right? No matter how good you are, you're going to miss something. you got to work that thing. recall button. <laughs> i got to work the recall button. But here's the thing that I'm curious for you guys. I'm, and so many of us are seeing more college football live than those of you who are actually at the games, uh, which always interests me, intrigues me. You know, I, even... Uh, let me interject on this, because I had a unique situation. So while you're throwing out all the channel clicking you were doing john did you happen to tune in at all for any part of our eight hour broadcast of the tcu at k-state extravaganza i <laughs> the delay game the delay bowl yeah i think i watched minutes of it i bet okay sure well anyway uh so as the one of the ch- more frustrating aspects of that is i didn't get to see anything else because mm-hmm. You know, I spent most of my afternoon, if it wasn't on, on the field in the game, when it was actually being played, basically like right outside the TCU locker room where mm-hmm. waiting for updates from the K-State and TCU officials who were making the decisions. And so I'm not seeing anything at right. all. So, I mean, it was the last time I had a Saturday like that where I saw so little of college football was probably I went to Ireland for a buddy's wedding like, I want to say it was 2004. So it's just kind of like a little bit of a unique experience. So I call, what I now do is I call Stu when I get back from every week to get settled and wow. like, okay, exactly what did I miss or what are the, what are the people talking about? My wife hey, suggested I experience. should charge him for this service. <laughs> I'm I'm you know what if I mean you guys both have tougher sleep schedules because you have young children. I'll be single forever as long as Stuart has me doing this uh, Saturday afternoon <laughs> thing. So so you, you're always welcome to call me Bruce. I'm I'm like Lester Bangs in. Almost famous. I'm always home. I'm not cool. So you're welcome to call me. All well, right, let's peel back the too. curtain on this for a second. I wasn't expecting to go this direction, but I so I've done it. I've experienced it both ways. Like you know, at Sports Illustrated, we would I would be out at a game probably two thirds of the weekends during the season, mm-hmm. and uh, and like you said, that's an all day experience. Especially if you let's say you're covering an Alabama game, you drive in from Birmingham. Like you're not staying down the street from the stadium. So right. just the time being in transit, you miss a lot of the games, too, mm-hmm. not just the ones going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, in my current role, I have not been out to a game since the first week, Alabama-Florida State. I'm about to hit 
two the next two weeks, USC, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, Penn State. But I've been at home watching games every weekend. So, Bruce, I'm curious, do you feel which, – which, you've done the same thing. Which, in which uh, role do you feel more informed about college football? You know, when you're sitting on your couch the whole time, or that first season Stu and I were at, at Fox, uh, John, we were spending mm-hmm. a ton of time in the green room on Saturdays where you're seeing right. everything and you're talking about it and you're talking about it with football people. And mm-hmm. you're also, and I think I did that at CBS as well, my, one of my last years at CBS Sports Network, where you feel like you're there, but you, at the same time you're a little distant. Whereas when I'm, especially part of these broadcasts, like I know way more about the teams that I've seen because I've talked to coaches, you've seen them up close in person, you've talked to everybody you know, connected to the team, you've even talked to people who played them. So if you ask mm-hmm. me about you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, even Ohio State, or, or the Michigan schools, or certainly TCU because I've seen them twice, I feel like I know way more than I would have even if I just sat in the press box and went to their games. But it's a way more smaller sample size. I mean, I've seen probably I saw the Alabama game against uh, against Florida State on TV, and I saw a decent amount of their game against A and M. But I haven't seen them much. I'll be honest; I didn't see much of Clemson until Friday night. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the way it worked out, there's some games where you know I've uh, there's some Saturdays where I've seen nothing. You know, like. Uh, the best example in my head was, and it was a it was a huge game a few years ago, Michigan State, Ohio State, and it was the the game where they did not feed uh, Zeke Elliott much uh, many much right the ball touches, right, and he you know popped off after the game. We had like I think it was Arizona Arizona State. I did not see a second of that game because it was in the exact same window, and I'm on the field two hours before kickoff, and I'm not leaving during halftime, so. You know, for that whatever it is, six-hour window, I'm pretty much dark on it, and so right. you, know, you do the best you can talking to people around it, but that's hard. I mean, and and look, I think there's a lot of AP voters and certainly a lot of coaches who are in the same predicament because it's just you focus on what you're, you're focusing it on as opposed to what everybody else at home may be seeing. Well, you have it particularly Absolutely. extreme. I mean, if you're covering a game in the press box. You may not see every play of the, the big game going on at the same time, but you can keep an eye on it on your uh, laptop or your iPad or whatnot. And then when it's a dramatic ending, you may stop watching the game that you're covering just to, or you'll go back into the back of the press box and watch it. But I, I, I kind of the same thing you said. So, you know, being home these past few weeks, seeing everything, you know, I feel like I know at least a little bit of what's going on around the country, but... You definitely know, you know, I will definitely be much more qualified going forward to give analysis of uh, USC and Notre Dame when I see them in person. There's just no replicating that. Speed doesn't translate on TV. Um, being up higher, you see, I think, especially defense, right? Because TV just follows the ball. When you're right. up above in the press box, you can actually see uh, the entire defense and how it kind of works together and individual defenders that stand out. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to both. I think it's like, you know, Bruce, you're, you're the guy with the microscope who's looking at the paramecium and you can see the little cilia, but I am up uh, on the spaceship and I can actually tell that the globe is round. It's, it's, you have this focus and I, and those of us who are watching TV will never have that focus, but we have this much better, I think, panoramic view of of everything and i'm not saying one is better than the other um it's just the difference but 
I feel much more informed on a general basis watching as much football as I've watched the, per, the past seven weeks. So, for example, when anyone comes at me saying Clemson's the best team in the country, I just sort of laugh because they're good. But Alabama has been just owning everybody, owning them. Like, there is this – it's about killing teams' wills. So, for me, uh, that was always – you know, it, it got borne out at least this past weekend – I was never in doubt about in what I thought who the best team in the country was through the first seven weeks because of all the, the chances to see both teams play as much as I have. Stu, I want to uh, begin delving into some other stuff beyond just sitting on the couch with, with John. <laughs> so, uh, and this, is, this turned out to be a decent way to get into it. So earlier today, I got one of those Bovada emails. And I know people will get on you about, oh, you can't bet these things realistically or whatever. But just mm-hmm. the, the, the nature of it is here are your updated Heisman odds. There was probably like about 15 guys listed on there that are somewhere on their board. One guy who is not, who I think has a chance to get in there, is a guy I know very little about, short of talking to the Michigan State staff, which I did at, you know before our Iowa game. And that's Josh Adams. He is not on there. He plays for a high-profile school. He has a huge game coming up this weekend against USC. He also has potentially a game where he could steal some thunder of Stu's favorite football player, Bryce Love, down the road. <laughs> uh, so, so John, what would you put the odds if you were an odds maker of Josh Ad- Josh Adams Heisman chances right now? I think he has a chance to get invited. For those people who don't know who Bruce is talking about, and I'm sure most of you do, it's he's the Notre Dame running back. He's, he's a junior, so he had a 200 and I want to say 29 yard game at Boston College. A couple weeks later, at Miami, versus Miami of Ohio, yes, it's Miami of Ohio, I think he had about 140-something yards in the first quarter. And then he had a small anchor injury, and Brian Kelly has been extremely circumspect with his running backs this year because he's got four of them. So Adams came out for the rest of the game. If Adams plays that whole game and comes up with over 300 yards, which wasn't too much to assume since he had 150 in the first quarter, I think now there's a much bigger hype for him. But I think the way he's been used, he doesn't have the numbers. But it's interesting. There's only one person. I I tweeted this out last night. There's only one person averaging 14 carries a game besides Adams who's averaging more than nine yards a carry, and that's Bryce Love. Adams is averaging 9.02. So he has high-profile games coming up, as you two know. He's He's got USC followed by NC State two weeks later at Miami. If he can have big games there, then he's at least getting invited. And, of course, he finishes up against Bryce Love last game of the season. Yeah, my question with both him and with Notre Dame, you know, they've, they've been running the ball at will, uh, frankly, in mm-hmm. most of their games. But when the, the best <clears throat> team they faced, the best defense they faced, Georgia shut them down. And so right. now they play USC. I don't think USC's defense is at Georgia's level, but it's certainly better than the ones they've been playing recently. And here's where, can you really do that without any sort of threat from the passing game? Like, they've been getting away with Wimbush, uh, Mm -hmm. who I assume is back, not really being much of a threat in the passing game. When you play these really athletic defenses, they can take away the run, right, if he he can't keep the loss. Absolutely. Well, two things on that. Obviously, you're right, but they have a quarterback who may be just as good a runner as Josh Adams. 
So if you can roll out Brandon Wimbush and give him that you know, dual threat, that is more than just like handing the ball off. Um, and he's had, you know, this is a two-week window where not only does Notre Dame not play last Saturday, but they don't have class this entire week because it's fall break. I would imagine like this is as sharp as Brandon Wimbush has. If he's not sharp this week, I don't know, you know if he's ever going to be sharp. So they definitely need to pass the ball more, but he's also a threat to run himself. So it's not as easy. I'm fascinated because I think USC has at least three guys on that defense who are first-round picks. But they just haven't been playing like first. I mean, as a defense, uh, Zach Moss just ran through them for three quarters on Saturday night. So I'm kind of interested to see how well USC gets its act together I think between now and Saturday. Is, I think that defense is overrated. Because remember, Western Michigan ran through them for over 260 right. yards early on. Uh, we know Bryce Love did some damage on them. I, I look at them. And I think this is a less talented version of what we come to expect from USC. I don't think there's anybody in the defensive front who I would say is a is a typical wow USC defensive lineman. I think I'm going to stop you right there. I'm really surprised to hear you. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean he may, Bruce, you may be right, but I'm really surprised to hear you say that. We we are you know we're working on our midseason All American team, and both Christian Rector and Rasheem Green were in contention. Um, you think those are three of the four best defense, three or four or among the three or four best defensive linemen in, in college football this year? Are you I mean, crazy? From a, from a production standpoint, uh, Rector in particular is. Um, and I love Owosu. I think and Owosu is their biggest. You know, he's a good, I think he's their best player. But I'm sorry, you know, like if if either one of those defensive linemen played in the ACC, they would not even be first team All ACC. Wow, bold words. <laughs> It's not, bold words. it's not bold words. Can between, I put that in the bubble screen? You can gladly have it. Between <laughs> between Bradley Chubb and the Clemson guys, I'm sorry. There's you know yeah. I think Bradley Chubb is, is the best player in Notre Dame yeah. hasn't faced. No, he's yet. a he's a he's a maybe no-brainer. Bryce Love. But that's what makes it interesting for Notre Dame's perspective. It's very hard, as you guys know, to win six tough games in a row. But that's what they've got. They've got a great opportunity here. So they, it's it's you know they did they did lose by one point, but they've got it all in front of them, and I'm sure Brian Kelly is trying to impress upon these 18 to 22 year olds like it's in your hands. It's totally no one has to lose. This isn't you know 2005 or someone has to lose to, for you to jump up. Like if you do what you need to do, you're getting in the playoff. And and I actually think this is the one thing I love about the playoff. And you guys know I wasn't a big playoff proponent beforehand it's taken it out of the hands of ap and coaches poll voters and it's given it to people who i think have a much better idea of what they're talking about so for example i honestly think right now that ohio state's one of the four best teams in the country they would never get a chance in the old days but they've got a chance now and and i don't know i i would i would totally stake that that they're one of the best four teams in the country right now Unfortunately, they're going to get a chance to prove it in the next couple of weeks because, yep. you know, a week from now they're going to they're going to host Penn State. We'll see if Penn State survives, you know, visit from Michigan. But I think mm-hmm. that would give them a chance to change people's minds to see how far JT Barrett in this offense under the new offensive coaches has come from that debacle against Oklahoma, where ba- where Baker Mayfield was by far the best quarterback in that game. Mm-hmm. Right. And which also leads me to something, Bruce, here you are living in Manhattan Beach and they're dispatching you back to the Midwest every week. It's 
Shouldn't they have to force you to move to Chicago? Is this is this in the offing? No. First of all, look, John, I'm trying to be your agent to get you a TV deal, and Alice is trying to get me sent to the cold weather. You know what's weird is, though, I my body clock is so screwed up from, uh-huh. you know, we did a bunch of, uh, we've done Big Ten games, you know, three hours ahead of time, and last week I was in uh, Kansas, two hours, and this week we got Wisconsin, and then next, the week after that, we have Iowa. So the way the schedule has worked, and who, who could have predicted this, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of stuff with my body clock. I'm already a bad sleeper who gets up at 5 a.m. Now I'm getting up at 3. Oof. So, And you're, going, you're, you're walking into a kale-free zone <laughs> in California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've lived in the Midwest. Like Potatoes are a vegetable, and that's about it. And Stu knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. He's lived in the Midwest, too. I'd never heard you know? of kale when I lived in the Midwest. <laughs> Suddenly. It was Kale Gundy. That's the only Kale. Uh, that's about. the only one. Now I moved to California, and I'm having uh, you know agave nectar instead of sugar. And, Absolutely, you know all Absolutely. that good stuff, guys. We've gone this long without talking about all of the great, great. The great's not the word, but all of the momentous, momentous upsets mm-hmm. of this past mm-hmm. weekend. You've got. You I mean you briefly touched on Clemson losing to Syracuse. You also had Washington State Friday night gets creamed at Cal. Um, you've got Washington losing at ASU. You've got Auburn going down. They were a top 10 team going down at, L- at LSU. Let's just go around the table. Which one surprised you the most? Well, I'll, t- I'll go. I, you know what surprised me was Washington losing at Arizona State because I watched that game, and Washington didn't make any big mistakes. They didn't turn the ball over. They just played an average team that always shoots itself in the foot and somehow didn't get things done. And I was, it was one of those things, like I, I posted the picture of the, I think they're three female Washington students looking at the scoreboard with that quizzical look. And <laughs> that's how I think all of us felt. Like, how is this happening? Like, I understand that Syracuse is the bigger upset, but watching Washington go down, I couldn't understand why they weren't winning. So it was it bummed Yeah, well, the sorry, manner in which it happened. Yeah, especially given how awful the Arizona state defense has been for so long and to yeah. see them hold them to single digits, you know, it, was, was pretty, nothing pretty about sounding. that result made sense. No, it didn't. And then the, the fourth down play where you're just waiting for Graham, you know, you're like, they're not going to really go for it. Are they? They're not really going to pass it. Are they? And that ball should have been intercepted. And not only do they get the first down, but Washington loses one of its better defenders for this, probably the season on the play. It was just, Ugh, I don't. You, it made no sense. It may, and by the way, now the Pac-12 can just, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, I think they can kiss a playoff spot goodbye. Really? You're you're oh, yeah. you're ruling them out already. Oh yeah, everybody's got one loss and nobody has a great win. Um, how do they? How do they get in? There's too many good teams with one well, loss. Yes, Stu. How do they get in? Is their best hope? Because if if USC goes on a mini roll, which they do not look like they're ready to do, but let's say they beat Notre Dame, at best, Notre Dame would be a two-loss team at best. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to get the, the, the clout to, to justify it? They would need Texas also, which, by the way, just lost. To, right. to, you know, it's like I just don't see the schedule strength. Washington uh, you know, does not have a good non-conference, and right. I just don't see the rest of the conference. Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on how the rest of the country shakes out, right? So last year, Washington got in as a one-loss Pac-12 champ that played a soft non-conference schedule, um, lost to the best team they played last year in USC. But 
who who were you going to put in there instead? You know, the committee decided that Penn was State? more. Yeah, well, the committee decided that even with the soft non-conference, they 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 deserved it ahead of two lost Penn State. Um, also, Stu, by the way, that I mean, the difference I think worth noting is. Washington's loss was to a team that was going to play in the Rose Bowl. Washington's loss here to a, is a team that might not even go to any bowl. Well, that's the thing, right? So, like, I think Iowa State will end up going to a bowl, and that Oklahoma loss won't seem quite as stunning. I wouldn't be surprised if Syracuse ends up going to a bowl. But, like, part of me well, thinks Arizona State, like, neither of those teams will play that way. The rest of this Arizona State's defense will go right back to giving up 30, 40 points a game. And Washington will, won't look like that again. That that's my you know I could but, be totally wrong. But towards that end, what you're saying just to just to kind of hammer that home or does somebody have a duck in the background? <laughs> Do you hear that? That is my phone, and I don't oh, know okay. what. If, I, I'm either. I think that I thought that was our actually our pot our our app. Otherwise, I've become much more popular than I ever am at any other time. <laughs> but that is the that is what's in the background. We will get back to the podcast in just a second, but first, Bruce, we want to tell you about our sponsor, and that's Mac Weldon. My Mac Weldon clothes arrived last week, and I got to tell you, it's just as advertised. Their underwear is the most comfortable underwear I've ever worn. Stu, when you have comfortable underwear, doesn't it put you in a better mood? I got to, I got to say, two things that I love that have been very uh, uplifting. Really good body wash where the scent just kind of stays with you all day and also comfortable underwear. I just think it makes you feel more confident. And it's not just the underwear. I also got a really comfy sweatshirt from Mack Weldon. And I should also mention it's a really good online shopping experience. Really, uh, really good, uh, really easy to navigate. I basically, Mack Weldon, what they tell you is they're better than whatever you're wearing right now. And you can go on MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code AUDIBLE. Uh, Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. The most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor, and they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. So again, go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code Audible. We've both done that. Again, MacWeldon.com, 20% off with promo code Audible. My, uh, just to underscore that point, though, about the Iowa State versus Arizona State losses, I mean, keep in mind, Oklahoma still has a big, you know, not even close win where they thumped Ohio State on the road. Nobody in the Pac-12 is going to have a non-conference win like that. Nothing close to no. that. Well, probably not, I, I, but I both mean, USC and what Stanford What do you mean probably play, not? Well, both <laughs> USC and Stanford play Notre Dame. That could end up being a pretty good It's win. not going to be as big right. as Notre no. Dame would have a couple of losses. I'm sorry. Sir. Well, by virtue of that. And also, like as I, I asked this question in the bubble screen, I know it's we're looking forward, but if, if Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma all have one loss— like at least one of them is getting in and then it becomes, well, which one gets in? Because, you know, Oklahoma beat Ohio state, uh, Clemson's your defending national champ and everybody loved them before this happened. Uh, I, I definitely think this is the year you're going to get either two big 10 or two sec schools in the, in the championship deservedly. So by the way, over a PAC 12 team. I mean, I, I definitely think that PAC 12 is, the least likely at this point. And the last week I would have said big 12. Um, the, 
at some point there's going to be a two-loss playoff team. I mean, I, I'm surprised, frankly, it hasn't happened to this point. Stanford could be that team if they if they keep winning, um, including beating Washington, including beating Notre Dame. You know, they'd be a pretty good resume for a two-loss team by the end of the year, but then it would depend on... It's a team that also, by the way, Stu lost to a non... And it wasn't even like they... You know, they lost to a non-Power 5 team, too, though, in the non-conference. Bruce, you're making the same mistake that a lot of my Twitter followers do. Losses don't matter. Wins do, in the committee's well, mind. Okay, but where are these great wins that that Stanford's going to have that well, are going to be over top 10 Well, they still play Washington, teams? Washington State. They would play a chance to avenge the USC loss in the championship game. They play Notre Dame. They got a pretty tough road down. I don't know. I, my guess is they don't win out. It's a little too tough, in my opinion. And I think Josh yeah. Adams has a better chance to win the Heisman than Stanford does <laughs> of getting into the playoff. So you're, as of this moment, halfway through the season, you, you're both declaring the Pac-12's playoff hopes dead. Not dead. I am. Okay. I will. I'll be happy to because mm. I I don't see either of them. I mean, people love to fall in love with USC. They're going to have to win out, and then they're going to have to need Notre Dame not to lose another game. I don't think that's happening. Well, there's one thing that, that, that could save the Pac-12. Nobody sees these games. They play the games so late. So maybe <laughs> the committee just won't notice that they're losing the games. Maybe. They, maybe. But it's, it's become like, you know, this is, again, like if you look at the polls, I understand the polls don't determine everything. But the, the stubbornness that voters have to – go against what the preseason polls were, what their initial prejudices or biases were, is stunning to me. And if you look at USC, they're at, you know, 10 and 11 right now in the polls. Okay. And, and like, you know, they lost at Washington State, but, and I'm not trying to like fight for Notre Dame here, but look who has the best losses. Ohio State and Notre Dame are the best losses. And I know Stuart, you said it's wins, but if you look at some of these teams, like Michigan, I don't know what they're doing where they are. I don't know what USC is doing where they, where they are based on what they've done. And Miami is, I don't know, pretty soft myself. Anyway, I just think like it's weird how people are just so loath to go against what the preseason poll was, which is why I think USC is the only team that has a chance because they just people love to fall in love with them. And, and Notre Dame is definitely guilty of that too, don't get me wrong. But they haven't really done much this year, uh, other than beat a Stanford team. Well, you could. I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I mean, USC has looked shaky, and you kind of feel like they're going to. This isn't going to hold up. You know, these, they keep lo- winning these these dramatic games. But compared to some teams' schedules, most teams' schedules, they've had it pretty tough. You know, starting with Western Michigan's a respectable group of five teams, and they play Stanford, Texas, at Cal, at Washington State. Oregon State was the one gimme, and then Utah. So to be six and one against that schedule, however they got to it, I think is actually, you know, maybe is arguably the best resume of a one loss team right now. Um, no, Clemson's is the best, but that might that's that's up there. By the uh, way, John, he's yeah. not playing devil's advocate; he's playing Tessalon's advocate right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so Notre Dame, as dominant as they've looked, or, or Ohio State, right? Like I think I agree with you. Kind of intuition, common sense. If, if for them to just keep rolling these these bad teams the way they have to go to Nebraska and score touchdowns on eight straight drives, you got to mm-hmm. think Ohio State is 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 rounding into form. They're probably going to be, if not in the playoff, in the mix for the playoff. But if you're going by the committee's resume based approach, 
they they don't have any wins of of, of substance. So you, it's hard to justify ranking them higher. All right. Well, look, so here's one for you. Just as as a, a question, Washington goes to Arizona State, loses, and they are still ranked ahead of Notre Dame. They're still ranked ahead of Central Florida. Uh, they're still ranked ahead of NC State, who has better wins. Like again, like where, where does that come from? And I NC State's a good example. Have to worry about that. Yeah, NC yeah. State's a good example of a team that you know they did have a you know they lost to South Carolina. South Carolina's five and two now, so they, they've had a right. pretty good season. And they're not higher than they are because they started. I think they started unranked, right? You know I think they a, did. What's the underlying unfortunate part of this this vibe and this conversation is as I'm as we're talking about it, I'm somewhat agree, in agreement. But this is, Stu. Do you remember last year we had our our like. John on on Fox, we every year they do this boardroom where it's like eight or ten of us, and we yes. kind of pretend to be the committee. And right. last year, we were invaded by Tim Brando and his <laughs> wacky logic. And Tim was big on he says the brands, and he does it with capital P, <clears throat> capital B. Um, mm-hmm. And there is an element of that that I think you know is applied. Because I think that is, you know, you look at NC State, you look at some of these teams where it, it may take a year for somebody, for, for people to get in their heads. Because this goes back to what your point originally about uh, people are, are loath to kind of go against for what the a preseason poll was. I think it's really they're loath to get, go against what they have held and kind of convinced themselves of over this summer or over mm-hmm. the off season, where it just kind of builds in. It's like, oh, I think this team is good because I think this team is good. You know, Washington Absolutely. hasn't played anybody good, and they still haven't. But they lost to one of the teams that isn't any good right. this past weekend, and and so it's hard for people to get them in there. I mean, I I, I get a little more of the Ohio State because at least they are just crushing everybody now. But still, you know, I don't know. I hope we're going to find out more because they're going to play Penn State and they're going to play Michigan State and they're going to play Michigan. And those are more formidable teams than than what they've just been beating up on the last few weeks, but. Well, speaking you know, of speaking of Penn State, real quick, yeah, I mean, look, this ultimately doesn't matter who's number two and who's number three, but anybody who's watched Georgia play, as opposed to Penn State, like I don't know, that's to me is a no brainer. Georgia it should be number two. Penn State should be number. I've three. had them number two. I've had them number two for four weeks now, at least. I mean, what's Penn State's um, biggest win of the season at Iowa? At Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this goes like, the, and and to me, in an individual version of this, the, and I've written about this or tweeted about this all season, as you guys know, is, and he's not. I'm sure he's a good kid. It's just the the, the love affair, the fascination with Sam Darnold on on TV just blows my mind when he's just not having a good season to this point. Meanwhile, what cracks me up is there's a guy across town who's like number two in the nation in passing. And led the greatest like comeback of the season, if not most seasons. And he's getting you'll ne- you never hear Josh Rosen's well, name. Well, I wouldn't day. say Josh Rosen's having the greatest season either. Um, three, no, I didn't say he was having a great season the other but, night at Arizona. Okay, but but where is he like in the stats for the year? He's pretty high up there. He's far higher up there than Sam Darnold. Yards per game, back. it's it's uh, Mason Rudolph one, Josh Rosen two. But if right. we switch to passer right. rating, let's see. Rosen is 28th, and okay. Darnold is it's like in the 43rd, right? Yeah. 43rd. So and neither of them really lighting is, it up if you go by No, that. lighting it up, but, but, if, but if you hear, I mean, uh, you know, ABC had, had 
Todd McShay, who I think is a, a you know great analyst in terms of like guys pro prospects, and and they had Brian Greasy and Steve Levine, and they just could not stop talking about Sam Darnold or mansplaining for anything that happened. And it just at a certain point, you just want to say like, you know, he's a good quarterback, but maybe we need to like notice that there are some other players on the in this game. Um, and I, I just don't like the, the comeback is going to be, well, the audience isn't smart enough. Yeah, we are smart enough. If you treat us stupid, then you're going to get stupider people. But if you actually like, respect the intelligence of the audience, maybe mention the fact that Stephen Carr, who's been their most productive offensive player all season, isn't even in the game. Um, you know, just and I, and I know Bruce efforts to do this when you do your reporting on, on a game. It's it's like respect that we have some intelligence. Don't just try to sell the narrative that you've decided is the only thing that we're smart enough to handle. Um, so that's what kind of annoys me about, we're going to get it again this week. I'm sure we are. You know, Doug Flutie will roll into South Bend at 9 p.m. on Friday and just, you know. <laughs> the greatest moment of the season for me with Doug Flutie, and you, I don't know if either of you saw, when Georgia was playing Notre Dame and they had the lead, I think by uh, maybe it was just a one-point lead. They went deep, and they from barely overthrew a receiver. And Flutie said, oh, "I just had a. They had a chance to end it right there." Mm. And, and the extra oomph was beautiful. But it, it just that was Doug Flutie in a nutshell. Hey, let's let's end on that. You're the college football <laughs> TV expert, and yes. you watch a lot of Notre Dame games. Is yes. Like, what do you, you know, they made this huge changeover, and now you've got, like, the guy who was the voice of Monday Night Football as the voice mm-hmm. of Notre Dame, and then you got Flutie. Right. So, if wh- who's your pick? That current crew, or, you know, what was it, two, three years ago when Pat it was... Hayden back? Do you want no, 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 I'm not going that far back. I'm going two, three years ago when it was... Mike Mayock uh, was terrific. Mayock, Mike Mayock and, and was Tom fantastic. Hammond, right? Tom Hammond, Mike Mayock. Before that, Tom ha- Hammond and Pat Hayden. I like Pat Hayden a lot. I like him personally. Um, I thought he did a good job on the broadcast. And and you don't need to like have blue and gold pom-poms in your hands. It's not about that. But but Mayock is just a smart guy. He does his homework. He's very informed. Um, Do you want a Notre Dame guy in that position? Do you want it, John? No, not necessarily. Not at all. Unless it's me, of course. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, no. It's just that there's something about Flutie that it, it fascinates me. When your job is to talk and inform or entertain the viewers, and people are put on TV where you don't see their face all game, or there's nothing about like what they can bring to the broadcast. Like I understand that Doug Flutie won the Heisman. I was around. You guys were around. Like it was a great moment, and and he's a good looking guy. But that doesn't help me watching the game. Whereas, and I've said this on the on the tweets on in the column, Brock Ewart is doing an outstanding job uh, every weekend on ABC or ESPN, and I hope he gets a bigger chance in. And he's got a you know decent form, but like he's so much better. Here's the Doug funny Lee. thing on this, John. So I worked with Brock when I was at ESPN. And I've been a big Brock fan, right, all along. And I, you know, he's one of those guys when you talk to him off camera, you get smarter, right? And he's mm-hmm. got a great personality. He's very engaging. Seattle people on the radio probably get this. But I think I probably said this thing, this about what I'm about to say, and like, you know, you would probably get this, and certainly Ralph Russo is the same kind of shallow insecurity would get this too. Um, <laughs> I said, you know, I kind of dis- was dismissive. I was like, you know, I, I don't know what his looks, you know, like for one guy, it's not like he's Brad Pitt or whatever, but I was like, I think I said so many times, like, well, you know, I don't know if he looks the part or whatever. And after one, somebody goes, it's not like you're talking about like, 
you know, the guy from the mask. I mean, it's like the, the intelligence <laughs> about his looks got like so overblown. Right. But I, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, people want insightful analysis, especially from guys who, who played at a high level and understand the game in a way that, you know, some of the nuances of the game that the average fan may not know, but, and I think there's just a respect for the viewer in there too. Guys, I've got a nugget about Notre Dame on NBC that's going to blow your mind. So I was Googling because I couldn't remember who, and and I, I I feel bad. I I remember when Alex Flanagan was the sideline reporter. Now it's Catherine Tappen, right? Right. Catherine Tappen. And, and I couldn't remember. I was looking up because I wanted just to point out real quick that one thing that's very unique about Notre Dame on NBC broadcasts, longest post-game interview with the coach you'll ever see. Like, I don't know if it's in the contract <laughs> or what, but the... I was going to say, that money goes they, directly to Notre Dame. It goes on for seemingly like five minutes. But anyway, so I'm on the Wikipedia page, and it has a list of all the sideline reporters in the history of Notre Dame and NBC. Do you know who the original one was? Uh, on NBC, nineteen ninety one to ninety three. I don't know. You got to guess, and I'll guess. I'll guess. I'll guess. Marianne Grabovoy. I'm trying to think of like some Notre Dame player from the. I'll guess. Thinking of a running back from Notre Dame. Uh, I'll guess. Am I crazy to guess Alan Pinkett? Guys, well, the closest you came, Bruce, was by was saying running back. The original sideline reporter for Notre Dame on NBC, O.J. Simpson. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a bubble screen nugget this week. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, wow. you can't always believe what you read on Wikipedia, but you know we've got Alex Flanagan, two thousand seven to thirteen; Jim Gray, ninety eight to two thousand one; wow. Lewis Johnson, two thousand two to two thousand six; mm-hmm. OJ Simpson, nineteen ninety one to ninety three. That that is phenomenal. And of course, uh, you know what happened you know, in nineteen ninety four? Why he wouldn't have been back? Yeah. That year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Don Olmeyer was a Notre Dame guy. And Don Olmeyer was a big OJ fan and a big NBC guy, so I'm guessing that that had something to do with it. But I'll tell you, really, like my two favorite listens right now this year, three favorite, I should say, Brock Eward, Todd Blackledge, Gary Danielson. Give me more of those guys. I'm always happy to listen to them color commentate a game. Oh, great. Now, we, now we've lost Joel Klatt as a listener forever. <laughs> and I like Joel, Joel Klatt a lot. For a listener. You may, may, hey, I have a say in this podcast. You may not be coming back, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking on behalf of Brady you, Quinn You're right a sideline reporter. And Brady, well, I like I'm Brady speaking Quinn, on behalf but, of Brady Quinn. Uh, he's good. Those, are, those three guys are, to me, at the top level right now. Um, and I, I love Joel Klatt. I think he does a great job. I really do. Um, that's not just a you know, backhanded, but those three guys, I think Blackledge is maybe the best. I think this year he's fun. He's fantastic. In in the uh, list of uh, since since this is Bruce's guy and he's going to see him this weekend. In the list of like revered Notre Dame former Notre Dame players, like where does mm-hmm. Brady Quinn stand on that? Is he, you know, he had a good career there, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. What, no, what, he had a terrific career yeah. there um, because you know he got saved in the last two seasons with a guy who loves to pass the ball. Uh, you know, the whole the whole Charlie Weiss era is a, is a mixed bag for Notre Dame alums and fans. Um, so Brady definitely was a great soldier. There are guys who are always going to be more revered. Uh, obviously Joe Montana. Brady had a way better um, career than Joe Montana at Notre Dame, correct? He, it won't be that way. It's it's sort of like you know, uh, print the legend on that one. Uh, he he may have, but he doesn't have a chicken soup game. He doesn't have a national championship. 
So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, 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 he had a, you know, the passing game was phenomenal with him. He helped return that school to prominence. And I remember being at games before Weiss got there when he, I saw him walking around campus and he looked, the two things that I thought about were that looks like the saddest guy on campus. Also, I've never seen a quarterback with biceps like this. Those were the, my two takeaways from watching <laughs> Brady Quinn back then. But no, it, it's a really that's a great question. I so it's not. I he's, actually, would he's not like you know he's not held in like Rocket Ishmael or Jerome. I would Bettis say the, that, that guy, the guy from that era, who Notre Dame fans hail like as a legend. Two of them are Golden Tate and Jeff Samarja. Yeah, uh, more than Brady. Really, uh, I will say yeah. this, and I can attest to this with my own eyes from every week. But especially when we're in Big Ten country, so after games, when we are like we are done and we are all getting into our cars, or you know, to either go back to the hotel or go out to the airport, Brady gets mobbed by people. People want to take pictures with him. These mm-hmm. are, you know, I saw it at especially at Purdue. We had Purdue, Michigan. That's so obviously mm-hmm. in the state of Indiana. People like were mobbing him to take pictures of. The other thing that happens with him, and it happened, it's happened, you know, a handful of times now. We will be at like some restaurant on Friday night, and this is, I remember this happened at Michigan State. A waitress, probably twenty-one years old, comes over and goes, "Excuse me, I've been meaning to come over here for a while. Uh, I, I had a huge crush on you when I was." 12 years old. It happens. I mean, it happens a lot where people will say that or whatever. So you don't think Matt Lavecchio gets that reaction? (laughs) Maybe not Pat Dillingham either. Carlisle Holiday doesn't get that reaction? Yeah. No, Pat, Brady Quinn is is easily the most handsome Notre Dame quarterback I think they've ever had. He never, he was never an outspoken player. Um, And if you remember from that era, Zibby and Samarja were extremely tight. They were, they were buddies. Um, Brady wasn't in that group. He was more of a loner. I, Bruce, you know him. You can probably talk to him about this off camera. But he was just more of a, a guarded personality back then. And I think he will blossom as a as a game analyst as he becomes a little bit more outspoken. And even in the first two years, he's he started to become more of that than he was as a rookie. Well, he definitely um, speaks up. You know, it's interesting to hear that because you know he's definitely pretty outspoken now. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what he was like back then. I don't have a great, you know, I don't have much of a read on it. Uh, he was guarded. I mean, he was just a guarded quote, but a lot of them were, um, you could just, you could just tell there were guys in that team who were a little more, uh, for lack of a word, fun with the media. Yeah. Maybe it's as a function of being, he was Charlie Weiss's quarterback and that's, yes. And that could be a very weird place to be. Absolutely. But, you know, he did a great job and he was, he looked the part and, uh, uh, you know, he just, the records that he, he set were just so far beyond anything, um, both passing and receiving because of him and because of Weiss's offense. And, uh, yeah, I, I, but it's weird. It's, it's, I'm sure he's a nationally, it, there's nobody at Notre Dame who doesn't like, like him. I just think it hasn't, doesn't have the same visceral feel as even a Tony Rice. Um, for whatever. Well, those reason. guys won good or championships, bad. you know. Complete, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Paul Horning, you know, Tony Rice, Joe Montana. Uh, those guys have more of a Notre Dame feel. But again, it's like this is a school that have they even finished off paying paying off Charlie Weiss's contract yet? <laughs> I think they finally have. So there's like this this weird dynamic with that era uh, for Notre Dame alums. 
All right, well, Bruce, I gave we gave Brady a good five minutes of pub there. I don't think he needed that. I don't think he wants that pub. That's <laughs> not the pub we just gave him. John, you are really are one of our favorite podcast guests. We're not just saying that. It's a great conversation, and I will see you in South Bend this weekend. I will see you in South Bend, Stuart. I'm looking forward to it. And Bruce, safe travels. Enjoy the cheese curds wherever you are. Uh, I will find the fat-free ones, I'm sure. All right. Thank you, John. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right. Okay, Stu, that is one of our favorite guests. As I think you said once before, I think the things we love about having John on are it doesn't feel like it's an interview or a question and answer. It's just a fun conversation. It is. And we just want to hit on a couple more kind of newsy items. One, just uh, as we're recording this, you saw that weird um, situation over the weekend where it was reported that Kevin Anderson was out as Maryland's AD. And then, no, the school said he wasn't. Well, now... It's that he's going on a leave per source from, this is from Roman Stubbs, a six-month sabbatical and a blast from the past. We'll be taking over the day-to-day operations of the athletic department, and that is former Georgia AD Damon Evans, who's been uh, one of Kevin Anderson's lieutenants the past few years. What is going on in Maryland? Good question. We actually have uh, Maryland this weekend at Wisconsin, Damon Evans, who left Georgia uh, in a ugly scandal. When you first said blast from the past, I was like, Freegen's coming back. That was <laughs> to take over. Uh, also, and this is the, I think, bigger news this weekend in the Big Ten involving athletic directors is, and this was surprised a lot of folks. Yeah. Nebraska AD search ended up with Bill Moose uh, in his mid-60s leaving Washington State. He just personally, I will say this, to me, he was the perfect AD for Mike Leach. Uh, he was, he's a cowboy, kind of just independent thinker, very strong-minded. He helped. Uh, he hired Leach when almost nobody else would to basically just put a jolt in that program because they'd been god-awful. They upgraded facilities. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about Bill Moose from all the people I know who've worked with him. And now things are going to get very interesting because... You know, it's no secret. Nebraska got blown out the other day. Our friend Mike Riley is really on the hot seat there. So what would Bill Moose do if he's looking for a new head coach? I think there's going to be three especially interesting options there. You want to take a guess where I'm going? Are you going the Mike Leach follows him to Lincoln route? I think that's a possibility. I think that's probably not the highest of the possibilities. I think the two guys there that I think Bill Moose would be very intrigued by, as would a lot of other people. One's the obvious name, that's Scott Frost, who's tearing it up at UCF. He's a former Nebraska player. The other one is Scott Frost's old mentor, Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. I could see... So there was a brief, brief overlap there. there, if I'm not mistaken. Bill Moose was the AD at Oregon for about 12 years. And, and by the way, deserves a lot of credit for Oregon becoming what it did. I mean, he was the AD when they did the Joey Harrington billboard, when they broke out the what was then considered crazy, crazy uniforms that now everybody does some variation of. You know, he, he was a big part of that with Mike Pilotti as the coach. I don't know the exact timing of it, but Mike Pilotti hired Chip Kelly as offensive coordinator for the 2007 season. And then, and you know, rereading some stuff about him yesterday, it was sometime in 2007 that he had a falling out with Phil Knight and left as AD. And 
you know, one of the most interesting things about Bill Moose's story is that for three years there, he was just out on our, on his ranch. He wasn't in college athletics at all between leaving Oregon and starting at Washington State. So I don't know. You think he's got some pull there with Chip? We'll see. You know, I think that that would be an, an interesting job for uh, for Chip. You know, given how what his offense is like, obviously, I think that would play very well in Lincoln. You know, I think he's going to have some interesting options uh, as things get sorted out here. I will say that um, I think a lot of people just assume that Scott Frost will go to Nebraska. You know, that, that that's just going to happen. Scott Frost, Nebraska wants Scott Frost, and Scott Frost wants Nebraska. And I'm, uh, I'm just not sure that is. I mean, Scott Frost is going to have a lot of suitors if this season continues the way it is for UCF. Why is it a, is it a foregone conclusion he would pick his alma mater when there may be uh, options at schools that, frankly, are better positioned to contend for national championships these days? That's a fair question. Look, and I think we should kind of we want to talk about a little SEC hot seat. There's a a few of them have gone so full circle in the last month. Yeah, it's uh, crazy where they are. I think one guy who's definitely on the hot seat now is our friend Brett Bielema. I think it's real. I think that he's in serious jeopardy. You know, this year uh, it's just been a lot of struggles there. I know that that Jeff Long has has, has been in his corner, and really wants this to work out, but I think that they're going to have to look at some realities. Going, is this you know defensively they've been awful? They really struggled. Uh, after another, you know, when when you change coordinators a lot, it just really impacts a head coach's chance to to succeed and get it worked out. And I think that's one of the things that's been kind of un- undermining what's going on here. There was a big revelation last week, and I, I think we may have given, or I may have given, what turned out to be incorrect information about Brett Bielema's buyout. Um, there had been a, a his contract, a clause from his contract had been going around. There was like a schedule, like you've seen a lot of the contracts. Here's the schedule for the buyout and how much it goes down. And it said $15 million until January 1st. And then I want to say 11.7 or something close to 12 uh, for after January 1st. So I was of the impression that firing him was just not even on the table, not a realistic option. So some of the media, though, there at the um, Arkansas Democrat Gazette did some – actually took the contract to a lawyer – and looked at it and said, no, that's not what it is. That's just the starting point for this complicated formula based on how much time he's been there and how much time he has left. Long story short, it's more like $5 million. Which is way more manageable for them. Yeah, I mean, it's not, a, it's not an insignificant amount of money, but it puts this into play. And I agree with you. I think you know, if he was going to go 7-5 and five again, I don't think he was in any trouble. But the way that team looks, they could go 3-9, and 4-8, and eight, something like that. And... Uh, and then I think you're going to have a hard time justifying why is he still the coach right now? He's ten and twenty five in the SEC during his time there. Yeah. Now look, there's you can flip it a couple of other ways out in the SEC West. We think Ole Miss, which just had a nice win, but we think that you know whether they decide to keep Matt Luke or not, there's a coaching vacancy there that is going to get sorted out. And then there's two others here that have got very interesting. One, Texas A&M. You know, I don't think. <laughs> the AD Scott Woodward was planning or wanted to keep uh, Kevin Sumlin there. Kevin Sumlin may win enough where it's going to force them to make some really challenging decisions. Would they extend him? I don't think Texas A&M wants to do that as a, you know, there. 
I think they have undermined him in a couple of ways publicly, uh, behind the scenes in some ways, which have not played well. And his team is, is actually playing well now. You know, have a real chance to maybe win 10 games this year. His team is getting better. Kellen Mond is getting and they're better. they're very, yeah. very young. But I think what could come into play here is Kevin Sumlin may have some interesting options if he decides to walk away from Texas A&M in the wake of this. I mean, Arizona State, their big win notwithstanding, I could see Arizona State, you know, as we have expected, probably comes open. I think that's another place that will we'll make a hard look at Chip Kelly. Uh, I don't know if if he would be potentially in the mix in Nebraska. I don't know if he'd be in the mix at Arkansas. But there there's some pretty good jobs that are going to come open, and especially for a guy who's won a lot of football games and has recruited very well. So well, one, it's yeah. Go ahead. And that's one. And the other one that I think is could get interesting again is at Auburn. Yep. Because you know they looked awful on 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 offense against LSU. They're up twenty to nothing, and then it's the biggest comeback you know, in the conference, I think, in a long time there uh, for LSU, you know, gets, gets beaten by Danny Etling. And I think that there's a lot of frustration at Auburn the way things are going to play out, and barring a strong second half. Now, who knows what's going on? Jay Jacobs, the AD, is in some, is in some trouble, too. So that's an interesting situation to monitor. That's a lot, to, that's, that's going to get sorted out in the next couple of months in the SEC West. Auburn plays at A&M on November 4th which could be the swing game for both those guys. Um, I mean, you know, because Auburn after that has to play Georgia, has to play Alabama, obviously, and I don't think Malzahn survived 7-5 and five by any means. I'm not sure he's, he would survive 8-4. and four. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, I do feel like there's a – he's just reached that point where, like, I'm sure everybody there is rooting for him, but they've kind of lost faith. And the Sumlin situation is interesting because – so you're basically what you're saying is a possibility, and we've seen this before. The coach gets out before they can get him. Now let's just play it out and say ain't it? ten and two would be a whole other story. He he already makes five million dollars. Let's, let's a year. say nine and three. Let's say nine and three, where he's right in that window of can they really justify firing him? But he's not necessarily taking himself completely off the hot seat. So yeah, maybe he should get out before and, and you know on his own accord, but. Makes five million dollars a year. The Arizona State's not going to be able to pay him five million dollars a year. You don't think? Who's no? I don't think so. You think so? I don't know. I, I mean, at this point, I, I'm not sure what they that's do that's they don't they don't fill two. I mean, they probably fill two thirds of their stadium on a given home game. Uh, no, that's not a school that can pay five millions. But someone maybe takes is willing to take a pay cut to go somewhere where he might be more appreciated. I don't know. I mean, I. At this point, I'm not sure how schools, you know, where they are going to raise money because it's going to cost some money to to get rid of Todd Graham as well. But I, I don't know. I love how we're we're uh, throwing people's we're, money around. No, no, we're 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 acting like Arizona State's definitely going to have a coaching opening right after the guy beat the number five team in the country. Do you think after that you're the you're the same person who said Arizona State's going to go back to the way they were? Yeah, I I think outside. sometimes sometimes you have games that are upsets that don't seem as big of upsets later because it just turns out that that team that won was underappreciated. But sometimes you have games that you look back at the end of the season and go, I don't understand how that happened. And I'm just guessing right now that'll be one of them. There will be no, there will be no continuation of this. You'll look back and go, how did Arizona State hold Washington? Almost shut out Washington. In fact, there's a little bit of an uncomfortable element to that game, which was 
who is the defensive coordinator who would deserve a lot of praise right now for that Arizona State performance? Well, it would have to be Phil Bennett, right? Does that make you feel icky at all? Because of the Baylor tie? Yeah. I mean, a lot uh, of people were furious at ASU for hiring him. I mean, look, in the course of the game, I think, you know, he's the one who's the coach and he's overseeing it. It's not like we're talking about the Alabama defense right now. All right, well, speaking of guys who had coaches or players who had big performances this past weekend, it's time to do our shout-outs. Stu, why don't you go first? Why don't you go first, since I think you already know who you're going to pick. Yes. So I want to give a shout-out to a guy who had a rough go in the last couple of years as a head coach at Fresno State, but has done a terrific job turning what had been an awful Cal defense into a very formidable one. Tim DeRuder's team under Justin Wilcox. With Washington State up and down the field, like every time you looked, Luke Falk was getting pressured or throwing a pick. It was all these mistakes. DeRuder was a really good defensive coordinator in his time at Air Force and at Texas A&M, where he would always have opposing quarterbacks like seeing ghosts. And we saw more of that the other day. And it's a, you know what? I think Cal has already won more games than most of us thought they would all season. And that was a huge statement win for, for uh, Justin Wilcox. And I give him credit because you know, his two, he put together a terrific staff, but for a first-time head coach to hire two guys who were recently head coaches, and I think that you got to, you know, a lot of times guys' egos won't let them do that, and I think he was smart to do that. It's really paying off. And so hats off to Tim DeRuder for a awesome performance by his guys. I agree with you 100%. And if you want to see a detailed breakdown of how Cal did that to Washington State, you should go to the All-American. Subscribe if you haven't already. Chantal Jennings did a pretty thorough uh, postmortem with Tim DeRuder about that. Uh, my shout-out goes to Virginia's Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, familiar blast from the past, as you remember at BYU. Um, not getting enough credit, I don't think, for the fact that Virginia is 5-1. and one. They've been so bad for so long. They are 5-1. and one. And you remember when they went and just kicked Boise State's butt? And you thought, wow. Friday Boise night a couple weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. thought, oh, Boise State must not be very good this year. Boise State just went down and knocked off San Diego State in a very impressive fashion. So uh, we'll see going down the stretch here. Can Virginia even, you know, you thought rebuilding job, uh, just getting to a bowl game would be a big deal for them this year. But they're already 5-1. and one. Let's see. Let's see what kind of noise they can make. Uh, hats off to him. By the way, he's being mentioned by some as a possibility at Oregon State where, you know, I'm now realizing we haven't actually even had a chance to address Gary Anderson on here. That happened, we recorded last Monday morning, that happened Monday afternoon. I don't want to rehash that as a week we old at this point. We recorded Sunday night. We oh, right, Sunday. we recorded Sunday night that week. We could talk about the text messages and all that, but why don't we skip ahead to who the next coach might be and is Bronco Mendenhall a realistic possibility? I don't think he would leave Virginia, turn around, and, and bolt. To yeah. go to take to go to Corvallis. I just don't see that. I do think Kenny Amatololo from Navy is a serious player for that. Now, why I, you're you you said that Chris Benini said that he's been up for jobs before. You know why that one? Uh, he want he would have loved to have gotten Cal. From what I'm told, they hmm. ended up going with Justin Wilcox. I think this is one the, the BYU situation. I can't get into too many details on it, 
there were some snags in there that I think were kind of deal breakers for him on that. So that's the reason why he didn't ultimately pull through on that. In this case, I think, you know, I think he knows the timing is, is right. I think he has some connections on the West Coast and the Pacific Islander community that I think he could leverage and, and do a really good job with. I think at Oregon State, you can't be kind of the same as everybody else in the in your approach. you got to be a little different. I think his system is clearly different. Um, you know, I think Jonathan Smith, who was a really good quarterback at Oregon State, now the OC at Washington this past weekend, notwithstanding. I think he's in there. I think Alex Grinch, the Washington State defense coordinator, he also had a bad week, but uh, I think he's another one who will get a look. But to me, I think Kenny Montalo, if I had to guess right now, I think he would end up being the guy. Wow. It would, it would, that would be a home run for Oregon State. It really would. And, you know, whereas some places would, would not want to let him run that offense, you know, you're at such a disadvantage at Oregon State, as I wrote about last week. You're always going to be playing from behind, or recruiting from behind against Oregon and against Washington. That's the great equalizer. Why not try the triple option? Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I'm in total agreement. By the way, I was very close to the shout-out being Ed Ogeron because just a couple of weeks ago, there were a lot of people who were saying, like, you know, what an embarrassing hire that was. And then his team went into Florida and beat the Gators, and they just beat a top-10 team. And it's just, like, kind of shows you that maybe we got to not go overboard. Now, I'm not saying he's going to turn around and, and go 10-2, and two, but... I think it's a reminder that sometimes we go over our skis in a hurry just off of one, you know, one or two games. Right. Well, that's college football for you. We're, we, are, we wouldn't have a podcast, frankly, without all the knee-jerk reactions from week to week, including the week that uh, we spent a good chunk of this podcast talking about whether Ohio State should bench JT Barrett. And uh, now he's playing, the, frankly, the best football of his career. So things change in a hurry in the sport. That they do. All right, Stu. Uh, anything else we missed? I don't think so. Let's just go to the closing credits. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel. And subscribe to The All-American if you haven't done so already at theathletic.com slash all-american. So come on, get over here.